this morning because the Bible talks, uses different metaphors to talk about what Jesus did on the cross and what the cross meant. And today we're going to look at the idea of redemption or being redeemed. And, and that is, that, that can sometimes be seen, you know, if you, if you haven't grown up in church, you, okay, redemption, we're redeemed. Okay, what does that mean? And we're going to look at that metaphor today as it applies to the cross because the beginning of Ephesians keeps coming again and again, repeating the importance of the cross, the importance of Jesus. And so we're going to look today at what it means to be redeemed, to be set free. Let me read, we're going to have the words up there so you can follow along, but let me read verses 7 through 10 of Ephesians chapter 1. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth, under Christ. Today we're going to look at what it means to be redeemed, or as, as I've put it in your bulletin there, what it means to be set free by Jesus. I want to go to verse 7 there. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. This is going to be the meat of this whole section today, is that first line there. In him we have redemption through his blood. The rest of the whole the passage we're going to look at talks about and modifies that idea that we have redemption, that we have been redeemed. So I thought, again, like I said, this is not a word that we often use. Um, unless you grew up in church, you might not be familiar with it. So I looked at what does it mean to be redeemed? What, what are we trying to get at when we say redeemed or have redemption? Well, Hebrews 11.35 uses the same word, but it uses it in a very different context, and I thought this was really helpful. It says, there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released, so that they might gain an even better resurrection. The same word for redemption is used in Hebrews to talk about people who refused to be let free from jail. They were in jail because of their faith, and they, were, they did not want to renounce their faith, so they stayed in jail. So they were not redeemed. They were not set free from incarceration, not set free from the bondage that they were in. So, so the idea with redemption, to maybe put it in terms that, that we use more, is, is the idea of deliverance or set free or, or set free from slavery or punishment, like incarceration, being in jail. So this is what we have. We have freedom. But not just any freedom. First of all, it's in him, in Christ. That it is through Christ's work on the cross that we have this freedom. That when, and the term in Christ or in him when it's used here, when we know it's Christ, it's used a lot, and the idea is, is, is this, that we have a relationship with Christ. It's not just that we, yeah, there was this guy, Jesus, 
and he died on a cross, but that we are in Christ, that we have this relationship with him that allows us to be free. And that it happens through his blood. That's a way to talk about the cross. Remember, to talk about the cross was not something you do in polite company. So we see in the Bible when it says through his blood, it's referring to his cross, and it's sort of a euphemism for that. So it's when we are in a relationship with Christ, because Christ died on our behalf on the cross, that we have this freedom. And then the next part there, where if you look up, look up there, it says, we have redemption through his blood, comma, the forgiveness of sins, comma. This, in English, we call this an apposition. Um, and, well, sorry, it's an appositive, it's in apposition. Anyway, sorry for all you English majors out there. Um, that'll throw me off the entire if I get that wrong. Um, but what that is, is it helps us explain using other words, what it means. It's a further explanation. So we have redemption through his blood. You could add, which is the forgiveness of sins. So the freedom we have is freedom from our sins. And and what's, what's interesting about the plural sins there is normally Paul talks about freedom from sin. And he uses a singular. Okay, okay Jim, that, that, what does that matter? Well, it, it does matter. But when Paul usually talks about sin... In the singular, it's talking about our sinful nature, okay? But when he uses the plural, what it's highlighting is that each of us has sinned multiple times. And so what it focuses on is each of ours um, individual guilt. That it's not referring to sin in the abstract, but it's reminding us each of us has sinned against God. Each of us has done wrong. And that because each of us has individual guilt, we need this redemption. We all have need of it. So how does this redemption, this liberation, this freedom come about? Well, first, I want us to see that it's according to God's grace. We have freedom according to God's grace. Look at the end of verse 7 and then verse 8 with me. In accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. So we have this freedom on account of or because of God's grace. And, and I want us to look. Look how that grace is described It's the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. The idea is that there is this huge amount of grace. This huge, huge amount of grace that God pours on us. God is so generous with his grace that even when we have these sins against a holy God, He pours out his grace on us. He's not stingy with his grace. He's not the miser who counts his coins and makes sure all his pennies. But he just, he lavishes us with us. And we need to see the generous nature of this grace. What I also want us to see about the generousness 
of this grace is it says that he lavished on us. Paul includes himself on, as someone needing to be lavished with grace. And if Paul, someone who wrote a lot of the New Testament, who was given a call by God himself, he saw Jesus on the road to Damascus, he saw himself as needing this lavishness of grace. And so why would we be different? All of us need to be lavished and poured out upon with grace. There's none of us, it's not like some of us are over here and, well, we just need a little sprinkling of grace, but oh, you over here, okay, you, you know, you guys need it dumped on. No, we all need grace dumped upon us. And that God is willing to do that. That God doesn't say, well, I'll give you a little bit, but I don't want to give you too much. No, God is so generous with his grace that he will dump his grace on all of us. So one thing is that we need to remember that we need God's grace just as much as everybody else. That we need to remember that God is not stingy with his grace concerning us because when we remember that, when we don't forget that, we are able to not be stingy in showing grace to others. We need to mimic the lavish nature of God's giving grace. We need to be like him in being lavish with our grace. We need to dump out our grace on others because we have received so much. And then he says that he lavished this grace on us And that says, with all wisdom and understanding. Now, if you have other versions, um, some versions take all wisdom and understanding with the next verse, and that's fine. Um, I'll tell you why I go with this version, and in that the wisdom and understanding describes how he lavishes his grace. The first of that is that God has all wisdom. And understanding. He knows all things, all things that have been, all things that will be, all things that are. And so he knows, and we can trust him giving grace because he knows how to give it. He knows exactly what everybody needs. But secondly, he gives us grace with wisdom and understanding so that we can live out the grace he has given us. Uh, Colossians 1, verses 9 to 10 says this, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding, those same two together that the Spirit gives, so that, for the purpose of, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit, in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. So, God lavishes us with his grace, and as a part of that grace, he gives us wisdom and understanding so that we know what to do with it. He doesn't just say, go be graceful. He gives us wisdom and understanding so that we can think, we can use our minds and our hearts to say, how am I going to show grace 
to my neighbors, to my family, to the other people at my church. Now, I think an application for us here is that we need to be continually praying for wisdom and understanding for how each of us lives out the grace. God, today, how do you want me to live out your grace? Now, this, this might also mean that you need to ask God how you can serve others, how you can serve here in church, how you can serve out in the community. Maybe you need to ask for wisdom as to how to use your spiritual gifts. Maybe you need to ask for wisdom to deal with that one person that just, oh, they rub you the wrong way. Oh, man. You know who I'm talking about. We all just had Christmas. <laughs> we were all around family. <laughs> but, but we need God's wisdom. We need that insight. Because every day we need to be thinking, how can I show whoever God's grace? Because he showed so much to us. Because our lives need to be characterized by grace. Everything that we do, grace needs to be at the core of who we are. And we need to pray because that is a daily struggle. Every day we need to pray, God, help me be gracious. I don't want to be known as someone who's not gracious. I don't want to be someone who other people are afraid to say they've made a mistake to. I don't want to be that person. I want to be someone who, when people think about me, I can go to him because he will show me grace. That's the kind of people, and we need God's wisdom and we need his understanding for that we cannot do that on our own. Next, I want us to see that we have been set free, not just according to God's grace, but according to God's plan. Look at verses 9 and 10 with me. And he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, which is Christ. God has a plan for all things, for all of history, including the plan to send his son to die in our place so that we could be set free. How is this plan characterized? First, it's characterized as being a part of God's will. This is what God wants. God wants to send his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that they may have the full rights of sons. That this is what God wants. Look at verse 9. It says, He made known to us the mystery of his will. Now, I want to take some time to talk about mystery. We're not talking about Scooby-Doo and the gang here. Okay? But when the Bible talks about mystery... It's referring to something that was not known, but it always refers to something that now is known. 
Okay, every time. It's not like there's a murder that happened that we need to solve. Okay, that's not the way they talk about mystery. You know, we don't need Shaggy and the gang. Okay, but what he's talking about, when he talks about the mystery of his will, it's saying, look, God promised in the Old Testament, thousands of years before Jesus, that he was going to send a Savior. And we didn't know who it was. But guess what? Now we do. Okay, and that's what he's saying when he's talking about the mystery of his will, that God had a plan that started in the promises of the Old Testament and then reached their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And now we know. We know the answer to the promises. And we also know that God made promises and he kept them. And so this whole plan of salvation is that God is trustworthy about his promises. So if he kept those promises in the Old Testament, he's going to keep the promises now and in the future and every day till he returns. And this plan is also, look, it's according, it says, his good pleasure. This isn't God, again, this is not God being stingy and bitter saying, well, I made him, I guess I have to save him. He's not like, oh, man, I have to send Jesus to die on a cross for their sins? Ah, lame. No. God wants to be in a relationship with you. It's his good place. He's happy about us. Even though we don't always make him happy, (laughs) he's still happy about us. And that he desires, he wants to do this. He finds pleasure in saving us. He wants to be in a relationship with you. Next, it's according to God's plan in that it's purposed in Christ. And that, that's a little, a little odd phrase, but, but the first thing I want to say is that it's focus. The focus of this plan is Jesus. That Christ is at the center of what it means to be a Christian. Who would have thought? That Jesus is at the center of God's plan for salvation. And if we lose Jesus or we misunderstand who Jesus is, then we lose the whole thing. That at the center of God's plan for salvation is the person and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we cannot forget that. Because then we just turn into a social club who does nice things sometimes. We have to keep Jesus and his cross at the center of all that we do. Because it is the greatest picture of grace that God has ever shown on earth. That an innocent man, a perfectly innocent man, died in our place. Not innocent people. And we need to remember that. We need to remember that Jesus is at the center, not us. It's not purposed in Jim. It's not purposed in you. It's purposed in Christ. The next thing I want us to see in that is that what happened with Jesus was not a surprise to God. He wasn't like, oh, the Romans got him. What do I do now? No. This was a plan from before the creation of the world. 
God knew what he was doing. And, and we're going to see a little more in the next, so I want to save that there for now. But know that God had a plan for Jesus, to send Jesus. That there was a purpose, that it wasn't a mistake. It wasn't like, well, I'll send Jesus and we'll see what happens. Hopefully it'll all work out in the end, fingers crossed. No, God had a plan. And that at the center of that plan was Jesus Christ. Next, it was according to God's plan in that it happened when the time was right. Look at verse 10 there. That this plan was to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. That God knows what's going to happen. That right at the right time, everything will happen. That God has a plan for history. And that means that God has a plan for every life here. That your life matters to God and he has a plan for your life and he is using your life for his bigger plan. So, so one that needs to encourage us that we all have a purpose. That we all have service to God that he gives us to do. That we are servants of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That there is no worthless person here. That we have so much great worth because God has a plan for our lives. And that also needs to be an encouragement because that means that everything we go through, everything we go through has a purpose. Even the hard things, even the times when you don't know what to do. In, in one of the songs, um, For the Throne of God, it says, When Satan tempts me to despair, even in the despair, God is there, and God even uses despair to bring about his love to us and his glory. God can use even despair in your life. Because guess what? When God brings you through the despair, you are able to help someone else get through the despair. That is how powerful God is, that he can take a bad situation and use it for his glory. Next, I want us to see that according to God's plan, everything comes under the supremacy of Christ. Last part of verse 10 there. To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, which is Christ. Again, we see the emphasis that at the center, and you might get sick of me saying this, but at the center of God's plan for all of history is Jesus Christ. And that God's plan is to win. We have a happy ending. It says to bring all things in heaven and on earth, which there's nothing that isn't in heaven or on earth, so that means everything. Call that a mirrorism. And that all of the things, everything comes under Christ, comes under his rule. God wins. Spoiler alert, we've seen the end. God wins. 
And, and that brings so much hope to our message. That we can say to people, because there are hopeless people out there. This past summer, um, out at the skate park, we had the Borders for Christ come. And these are skateboarders who are, are Christians who go around talking. And I, I asked them about their ministry. They tour the country. They get all the big cities, Chicago, New York, Chillicothe. All right. <laughs> that proves that God is mighty if, you know, after stopping by New York, they came to Chillicothe. Um, but one thing they said was in their ministry, one of the, one of the, the, a focus that they have in their ministry is bringing hope. Because the people that they were, and, I'm, and I know this is not just with, with skaters and, and kids like that, but I think it's a picture of the, of the world outside these walls, and maybe sometimes in these walls. But we feel like there's no hope. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. But we know that when Jesus returns, all things are brought under his rule and his kingship. And then when we go to heaven to be with him forever, there's a happy ending. And the Bible talks about this as saying it's a certain hope, which is weird in English, but it works. But that we don't just, oh, I hope that happens, or I wish, I wish that happens, but we know that God has a plan, and in that plan, he wins. And that plan cannot be changed. He cannot be defeated because when Christ returns, everything in heaven and on earth will be brought under his kingship. Let me say this. As you look back through the verses we did and and even go to the beginning of the chapter, that this idea that God is in control permeates this entire first section of Ephesians. You look at all these words that it's done by the will of God, according to his good pleasure, that he purposed all of this, that he chose us. God is an active God, and God is in control, which means he's in control of your life too. So that when it feels like it's spinning out of control, even if it feels like that, God is still in control. And that, that our redemption, our being set free, is an act of God. We were dead and enslaved in our sin. And he came and he set us free from that slavery. He set us free from that incarceration so we didn't have to pay the penalty. So let me, let me end with this. Through Jesus' death on the cross, we're set free from our sins. We're given new life, freedom through the cross. We experience God's plan for the universe through Jesus. And we must rely on Jesus for this redemption. It comes from nowhere else. It's a gift from him. Now the question is, what will we do with this freedom? What will we do with the freedom from slavery and death that we have received from Christ? We will do God's work because he brought us out of slavery as free people, we will worship God with every part of our lives, that everything we do is for the glory of God. 
We will serve others because we have been served so much. We will help those who are hurting because God has brought us all through times of despair. We will give hope to the hopeless. We are the only ones. We are the only ones with a message of hope. This is what we will do with our freedom. We are set free to love God and enjoy him forever. We are set free to show others the way to freedom. That now that we've been set free, we know the way. And we need to share that way. And lastly, we are set free to lavish upon others the grace that was so lavished upon us. That every day we live lives of grace. That we are characterized by grace. And that we show grace in all of our interactions with everyone. Let's pray.